All right, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. Father Ray Kelly is a Catholic priest in Ireland. He is sometimes known as the singing priest. A few years back, he was officiating at a wedding for a couple. And as a surprise to them, they did not know he was going to do this. He sang to them as part of the service. He sang a rendition of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And the words were written by a family member and given to him. And so they were, he, he sang those words to the couple. And so I'll, I'll just show you the clip of that. <clears throat> Don't expect that from me, <laughs> but he's pretty good. He's, 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 he's pretty good. Well, <clears throat> that video was shared on the internet and became a viral sensation. It has been viewed over 60 million times. So riding the wave of his internet popularity, he went on Britain's Got Talent. You know, that's one of those reality type talent shows. You've probably seen them all. But he sang a different song on Britain's Got Talent. He sang an old REM song called Everybody Hurts. Now, here's a picture of Father Ray singing on Britain's Got Talent. Now, you can go to the YouTube or whatever and find the video of him singing on there, but I couldn't find one of his actual recording of him singing with the lyrics because I really want you to hear the words of this old REM song. So I found an audio version of him singing with the lyrics there. So that's what I, I really want you to hear. But I wanted you to see Father Ray 
picture him singing this on Britain's Got Talent as we listen to him sing, okay? Simon Cowell said that was one of his favorite uh, auditions on Britain's Got Talent. But the words of this song are so true. Sometimes the days are long. And it seems you've had enough. You've had too much to hang on. Everybody hurts. Everybody cries. Everybody hurts. Sometime. Everybody hurts. People around us are hurting. We're hurting. We live in a world of hurt. And that's why Paul gives us these words of instructions in Galatians chapter 6. It's about ministering and loving those in our lives, those around us who are hurting. Those who are pressed down under the burdens of life. Those who are caught up in some sin and just can't get free. He's talking about the kind of people we are to be as followers of Christ. 
people of grace. This is what Galatians 6 is all about. And so today I've entitled our passage as we continue through the book of Galatians. We now come to Galatians chapter 6. I've entitled it, Love in a World of Hurt. What does love look like in a world where everybody hurts sometimes? Well, let's remind ourselves of the context because the context of chapter 5 is very instructive for what we see in Paul's instructions now in chapter 6. In chapter 5, Paul talked about life under grace. And in, excuse me, in chapter, in in verse 6 of chapter 5, he said, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but what's really important is faith working through love. What's important is not the external rituals that he's talked about throughout the book of Galatians that supposedly or might somehow give us acceptance with God, but we know that that's not true because no matter what we do, what we do does not give us that acceptance with God. It comes through faith in Christ. But what is important, he says, is not those external things, but that our faith express itself in love. This is what it's all about. Faith, working through love. And then in verse 13, chapter 5, he said, For you were called to freedom, brethren, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but rather, through love, serve one another. You see, grace is not this mistaken notion that, that we can do anything we want and live any way we want to. Grace does not mean freedom to sin, but it is a freedom to love and to serve. Through love, serve one another. And, and then he tells us how our life can be changed and transformed so that we're not in bondage to simply the desires of our flesh, our natural sinful tendencies. And how do we do that? Verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. As we live depending upon the Spirit in that desperate dependence upon the Spirit of God, we can overcome the flesh and manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And now Paul says... As he moves into chapter 6 now. See, this is, this is all the background for understanding what he's going to say now in chapter 6. He says, this is what walking by the Spirit really looks like in real life. This is faith working through love. This is love serving one another. This is what it looks like to love people who are not perfect. To love people who are hurting. And so he begins... We come now to chapter 6 by saying that love is manifest in restoring the fallen. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's begin by looking at the situation that, that Paul envisions here. What is it that he envisions? He says, even if a man is caught in any trespass, 
Paul uses the word if here, but the idea really is whenever that might happen, in other words, it shouldn't come as a surprise. But what what about the the expression, excuse me, or the phrase, caught in any trespass? What's he envisioning here? Well, the word caught can be understood in one of two ways. It could mean that an individual discovers that a person is involved in some kind of sinful behavior and their sin has been discovered, so they've been caught in that sense. They've been discovered. They've been caught in a trespass. They've been caught in sin. That's one way it could be understood. But there's another way. Excuse me. Can you cut the mic for just a second? Thank you. But there's another way. <clears throat> it might mean <clears throat> that a person, an individual, <clears throat> is caught up in a sin or trapped in a sin or overtaken by a sin. And I think the context favors this second meaning. Paul's not talking about a person whose secret sin has suddenly been exposed. He's been found out. I think he's talking about the person who is struggling with sin. They're caught up in it. They're trapped in it. They're burdened by it. It's weighing them down. They're caught in it and they can't seem to get free from it. Now, when we hear this, we might naturally think of addictions. You know, someone that's just in the bondage of some kind of addiction, they can't break free. But it could be any sinful pattern of behavior. It could be any of the deeds of the flesh that we looked at last week. And to remind you, that list that Paul gave there, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorceries, enmity, strife, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, envying, drunkenness, carousing. It could be a person is caught up in any of those kinds of sinful behavior and they're just not able to break free. As much as they want to, they say, I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to do that again. It continues in their life. Or we could go to Romans chapter (laughs) 1. If you want to get more <laughs> in more detail about the kind of sinful behavior of which we're capable, Romans chapter 1, talk, Paul talks about greed and evil and full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. It could be any of those kinds of activities as well that a person just can't seem to get free. They're trapped in a sinful behavior. And so what does Paul say should be done in this case? Give them more of the law? Give them some more rules to obey? No, his remedy is not the law, but love. 
And this brings us to our calling. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore means to make whole. It's used of mending. What's that? Okay, thanks. Thank you. It's used of uh, mending and repairing fishing nets. It's used of setting a, a, a broken bone to, re, to restore. That, that's the same word there, to restore, to, to set a broken bone. So it, it, it means to make right. You're restoring the nets, you're making them right. If you're setting a broken bone, you're, you're making it right. And so in this context, it means to help the person deal with whatever they're struggling with and help them to make it right. That's the idea. But notice the wisdom and the insight of the apostle. He says any kind of help offered to someone struggling with a sin must be done in a spirit of gentleness. Remember, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. So we must not do this in the flesh. The way of the flesh, the way of legalism is arrogance and pride. We don't want to do this so as to embarrass the person, so as to humiliate them or to chastise or rebuke. We don't want to do it so as to elevate ourselves. We don't want to do it with harshness, but with gentleness and compassion, offering understanding and encouragement and patience. It may not happen overnight, but patience. And we seek to lead them to an understanding of their behavior and lead them to confession and repentance. We want to be like Jesus, who simply said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, who should do this? Who's called upon to restore someone, to help someone make it right? He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual. Now, the idea of the word spiritual is really those who have the spirit. We often use the word in the context, boy, he's He's really spiritual. And we, we talk about, we, we sometimes use it in the context of spiritual maturity. But that's really not what he's saying here. Those who have the Spirit, and by implication, those who are guided by the Spirit and step with the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. So Paul isn't relegating this ministry here to some class of clergy. But any who have the Spirit and are guided by the Spirit. But then again, very insightfully, he gives a warning. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's a warning here that Paul gives. Now, does, does he mean that if you're talking to someone, you actually come to the point where you actually do this, and you're talking to someone about a sinful pattern of behavior in their life. For example, let's say the, pat- let's say the issue is explosive anger, and, and you're talking to them about that. And we're we're going to say more about how, might, how that might come about <coughs> a little bit later, how we might be able to have that conversation. But does, does he mean that if you're having that conversation, then you might be tempted to take on that trait for yourself, that, that you would then 
be tempted to have that same kind of anger. I don't think that's what he means when he says that you would be tempted. He means that when we help someone in their specific area, we then become vulnerable because of pride. And when we are lifted up in pride, we are most vulnerable for the attack from the evil one. And we are tempted to sin in not that specific area, but whatever area it is in our life, in our own lives with which we struggle. I, I, I think it's the principle of Jesus. Don't take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye until you've taken the log out of your own eye. So pride sets us up to fail, and this is a warning against pride. So the first expression of love is reaching out and seeking to restore and help make right those who are entrapped in sin. But then Paul broadens it to include those simply burdened with the hurts of this world. He talks about helping the burdened. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The situation here again is that of burdens, one another's burdens. A burden implies carrying a heavy weight. It implies struggling under the load of the weight. The writer of Hebrews describes it as the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. You can just picture someone under a heavy load, a heavy burden, trying to carry it in their arms and their hands are getting weak and their knees are starting to buckle and they're going to stumble here pretty soon. But this is the reality of life in this world of hurt, in this fallen world. These burdens, it could be anything. It, it, it could be health concerns for yourself, for your family. It could be the increasing limitations of aging and, and the burdens that that brings. It could be financial worries from not being able to pay the rent and pay the utilities to how am I going to make it when I retire. It could be painful family relationships, the burden of a distant marriage or rebellious children or an estrangement uh, from children. It could be depression, it could be addiction. All of these and a host of others are the burdens that people carry in this world of hurt. Chuck Swindoll says, The truth is that life heaps all kinds of baggage onto everyone's shoulders. Job stress, personal loss, struggles with sin, loneliness, physical suffering, sickness, divorce, abuse, addiction. The list, he says, could go on and on. And so what does Paul say should be done for those who are under the weight of, of those burdens? Give them more of the law? No, his remedy is not the law, but his remedy is love. And our calling is to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. To bear another's burden is to help them carry the burden. 
in most cases, we can't make the burden go away. It's not up to us. We're not big enough. We're not powerful enough. We don't have the resources. But we're called to help them bear the burden, to help them carry it. The picture is coming alongside and sharing in the weight of the burden. Here, let me help you carry that. You know, someone's got this huge load and you come alongside and say, hey, let me carry a part of that. That, that's, That's the picture, I think. Taking some of the weight off of them. And the importance of this is seen in that Paul says in doing this, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ. I think there's a certain intentional irony in Paul's words. The Judaizers have been saying, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. And here it's as if Paul is saying, this is the fulfilling of the law, but the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? It's the command of Christ to love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. The law of Christ is faith working through love. It is through love serving one another. Love is paramount in the fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit of God desires to do in our lives. Love is second only to the first commandment. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And love is the fulfillment of the law. So our calling is clearly to love one another. And we show this love. By bearing one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And thus, in this way, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. That's why the Apostle John writes, But whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart, it's talking about who beholds his brother bearing a burden and you close your heart. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue. Just saying that we love one another, but love and deed and truth. Get along beside of them and help carry the weight of the burden. And who is to do this? Well, he says, bear one another's burdens. We're all called to do this. It's part of the body of Christ. People in the body of Christ should not have to bear their burdens alone. It's not a task limited to the professional clergy or the elders or the deacons. But we are to bear each other's burdens. Unless anyone think that he or she might be above such ordinary everyday ministry of helping those who are hurting. Eh, that's for other people. Eh, I don't have time for that. Paul gives a warning. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. If we might think that we don't have a responsibility, we are mistaken. It's a warning against spiritual pride. Now, I'm not sure what was going on in the churches in Galatia to lead Paul to make this remark, to add this warning, this corrective here. But very possibly... It was that legalism 
in the church. Legalism begets pride. You can just hear some people saying, you know, if they would just keep the law, if they would, do, if, if they would just do what, what, what I told them to do, then they wouldn't have these problems. If you were more like me, you wouldn't have these problems. And Paul sounds a little put out with them. If you think you're too good to help them, let me tell you something. You're not. One writer says it this way. Their arrogance caused them to react in angry condemnation toward those who sinned and were bearing these burdens rather than to help sinners Help restore sinners by carrying their burdens. No wonder then that Paul interweaves this warning against the self-delusion of pride with his call to service. Only those who are freed from the delusions of their own importance will be able to serve others in love. Wow. And then we move on, and Paul says we all need to do some personal evaluation. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. What Paul is saying here is this. We are not to compare ourselves with others. And again, this is the pride in legalism. We compare our so-called spirituality with others and we exam- as we examine and measure off and check off our so-called spiritual to-do list. And when we do this, we really are embodying the spirit of the Pharisee when he thanked God that he was not like all these other people. Especially this tax collector. And so Paul says, let each one examine his own work. He says, don't compare yourself to someone else, but examine your own life in light of the Word of God and in light of the law of Christ. Examine your own life in light of the Word and the law of Christ. And then, if there is reason for boasting, if there is evidence of the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, then praise God. The boasting, the praise, it goes to God for His work. And you're not boasting in comparison to someone else. You see, we can always find people (laughs) who are doing worse than we are in their Christian life. And we gain some kind of warped pleasure as we compare ourselves to them. Well, at least I'm not that bad. But when we look at ourselves honestly in light of God's Word and the law of Christ and His expectations of us, the result will often be quite different. And then Paul says in verse 5, For each one shall bear his own load. Whoa, wait a minute. Doesn't this seem contradictory to what he said in verse 2? Bear one another's burdens? And now he says, no, each one must bear his own load. Well, obviously he's not (laughs) contradicting himself. First of all, he uses different words for burden and load. Different word in verse 2 and in verse 5 to show that he's not simply 
reiterating what he was saying. It's not an exact repetition. But note the context. Verse 5 begins with the word for, F-O-R. So he is explaining in verse 5, he's given the reason for what he said in verse 4. And verse 5 means that we will each bear our own load at the judgment seat of Christ. His thinking goes like this, verse 4. Don't compare your Christian life to others. Evaluate yourself in light of the word of God and the law of Christ. To serve one another in love. That is the standard by which we should measure our lives. Now verse 5, and the reason is we alone will bear the weight of our life when we give an account to the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat. We alone will bear that load, the weight of our life. All right, as a summary, Paul gives us two commands here, but they overlap considerably. When we become aware of those who are struggling with some kind of sinful behavior, with compassion and understanding and gentleness and patience, we should seek to try to restore them, to bring them to a place of confession and repentance. We want to try to make it right. We want to help them to make it right. The second command is, when we become aware of those who are struggling with any of the difficulties or challenges of life, we should offer ourselves to help carry the weight of that burden. And in all of this, being careful about spiritual pride, the tendency to think ourselves so much better than others, because while our performance may be better than others outwardly, ultimately we're going to give an account of our lives and what's in our heart as well. Now, I want to share some practical thoughts about this and how this might work out in the context of the Westside Chapel, the body of Christ here. First of all, these instructions here are often understood, especially uh, the one about restoring the one caught up in a trespass. Uh, often understood through the lens of church discipline. And the context is often, we've got to deal with sin in our church. We've got to do this. We've got to deal with it. And, and, and that is true. It, it can't be ignored. But, but I'd like to see Paul's instruction here through a different lens. I would like us to see this through the lens, not of church discipline, but through the lens of compassion. To look upon and approach with compassion those who are struggling with sin. Not because our sense of what is right is offended and I can't believe they're doing that and that's not acceptable so we got to go correct it. But the lens of compassion because anyone who's struggling with sin is hurting. They're hurting. Because sin is destructive. And we want to try to help those who are hurting because they're 
trapped in a sin. But secondly, how's this ever going to happen? How does this really happen? How do we actually talk to someone about something so personal as a sinful pattern of behavior in their lives? Well, it happens simply as it becomes known in the context of life together in community. There's two ways this might happen. The first one, you might actually observe some kind of sinful pattern of behavior in someone's life. And to go to them requires the right kind of relationship for you to be able to speak to them about it. I mean, you can't really approach someone with whom you really don't have a relationship and expect to talk to them about something so personal. But there may be those times when you know the individual. And you pray for wisdom and guidance. And you choose the right time, right place. And you choose your words carefully. And in love and gentleness and humility and grace... You speak to them about what you've observed. But listening carefully to really hear what they say in response. And don't, don't just bulldoze over their words. You see, so often in conversations, of meaningful conversations, we're not really listening to what they're saying. We're formulating our next response. That's what, that's what happens so often in conversation. That's why we get so locked in our positions and can never understand each other. Because we're not hearing each other. So instead of formulating your response, really listen to what the person says and try to understand them. That's the first way that might happen. But there's a second way that it could happen. It might happen if we are the one that is struggling with a sin. And we ha have actually the integrity to admit to ourselves that I'm not doing well with this. And it's destructive to my life. It's destructive in my, my marriage, my home, around others at work. I mean, I'm just, I can't get a handle on it. And you realize that you're the one struggling with a sin. Then what should we do then? That's when we have to seek counsel and allow someone to speak to us to help us make it right. Right? 
someone we trust with spiritual wisdom. Doesn't have to be the pastor or associate pastor. Could be an elder. Doesn't have to be an elder. Could be a trusted friend that you trust and that you know has spiritual wisdom that that you can go to and talk to. Allow them to help you with whatever it is. A third third thought is, well, with regard to bearing one another's burdens, how does this happen? How does this take place? Well, it will happen only as we are pursuing the Spirit of God, pursuing to walk by the Spirit. And through the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is changing us into the image of Christ. Suddenly we're being transformed from an individual that's only concerned about self, because that's the way we are by nature. As the Spirit of God transforms us, we're transformed into that individual who is now concerned about helping someone else. It's only through the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, among other things, but it's love as the Spirit works His way in our lives. It will show itself in love. And we love when we set aside our own interests and our own agenda for the sake of helping someone else. Love, by definition, is sacrificial. We Love is costly. By definition, we must put aside our own interests and agenda for the sake of someone else. And it, bearing one another's burdens may be costly. Costly with our time. In our energy, financially, emotionally. But this is what love requires. Through love, serve one another. Through love, bear one another's burdens. And here's just a potpourri of some thoughts about practical ways to help carry that burden. And of course, we begin with offering to pray. But I almost hesitate to mention that because that's become so superficial that we say that. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Or I've been, you know, I've been praying or whatever. And, and we don't really mean it. We just say it as a Christian, you know, throwaway word, you know, byword or whatever. If we tell someone that we're going to pray for them, Let's really be faithful to do it. And if you know you're not, don't use that word. Say, I'll be thinking about you. (laughs) Or something. But prayer is important because God does work through prayer. And that's an extremely important thing that we can do if we do it. But we've got to do it. But it doesn't stop there. You can offer your service 
to, to help them uh, and, and, and say, don't, don't simply say, well, call me, let me know if you need anything, okay? Ask them, how can I help? Is there something I can do? And give them the opportunity. Don't just leave the burden on them. Call me if you need me. You know, most of us won't do that. And if they say, and if you say, what can I do? And they say, well, I'm not sure of anything now. Then it's okay to say, well, if there is, please call me. But maybe you should then follow up with a call a short time later. How about now? Is there anything I can do now? Maybe you can write that note of encouragement. It could be email. <laughs> to these days, it could be a text. It could be a written note. And I have a whole stack of notes from 30 years at this church that people have written to me to, to encourage me. And I'm telling you, they, they mean a lot. They mean a lot. And, and they mean, it will mean something to that person that's struggling. Um, you could give them a call just to chat, check up on them, find out how they're doing. You could run an errand for them. It could be financial assistance. It could be a willingness to listen, just to, just to let them talk without having to offer the solution to their problem. Just let them talk. If they're looking for guidance, then of course, as the Spirit of God directs, you can do that. But people sometimes just need to talk without being told what the answer is. So be willing to listen. Be humble, not arrogant if you know the solutions to all their problems. Everybody hurts sometime. And God has called us to show His love in this world of hurt. With gentleness and compassion, let us seek to restore those struggling with sin. And with a love that fulfills the law of Christ, let us bear one another's burdens. This is our calling in this world of hurt. And I have the opportunity to not fully know everything that goes on, but I, I'm able to be informed of a lot that goes on, and I know that there are many people in this body of Christ who are coming alongside of others, even now, to bear their burdens. We hear about this sometimes, like in our Thanksgiving service, where it's an opportunity for praise, and it's just a litany of, man, I thank God for so-and-so, and I thank God for so-and-so, and, and what God did through so you know. And it's just a testimony to the, the ministry of this body. And so we praise God for that. We really do. But in the words of the Apostle Paul, let us excel still more. Let's not get comfortable thinking we've done enough. There's always needs. Let us excel still more.
bear one another's burdens. And in this way, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word once again. And pray that, the, that it is the Spirit of God who's present with us that will be our teacher here and impress upon our minds and our hearts the truth of your word. Lord, how we pray for those who are hurting today. For those who are struggling with sin. God, we pray that somehow they will seek to make it right. They'll be open to the counsel of someone around them or they will seek the counsel of someone around them and just say, I've got to, I've got to get I've got to get this right. And if you're here today and you're in this situation, we pray for you right now. That the Spirit of God will bring you to conviction. Or if you know of someone and you have that right relationship, that you would earnestly consider speaking to them. Because they're hurting. And their sin causes more hurt. So Lord, we pray for your work in that way. And Father, for so many others, even today, that are bearing those loads, that weight of hurt in this world of hurt, May they find comfort and strength from you, but they, may they find comfort and strength from others in this body as well. And through all of this, may it go to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.